0: Support for this podcast comes from JCPenney. This holiday, our in-person gatherings may be a bit more intimate, and our virtual ones, bigger than ever. But no matter how traditions change, what's most important is celebrating special moments with the people who matter most. JCPenney has all the best gifts, all in one place, making it easy to send your warmest season's greetings to loved ones near and far. Looking for the perfect gifts for everyone on your list? We'll be back soon with some of our top gift picks. Joy, comfort, peace. JC Penney.
1: Hey everybody, stay tuned after the show. I'm gonna share some bonus content with you got a wonderful piece of fan mail actually just kind of someone a listener sharing a, a really wonderful positive experience that happened with them uh, regarding psychedelics and just a beautiful story and i've gotten so many beautiful stories like that and i've never shared it one before and i thought why not and I, i'm sure you guys will appreciate it as well so stay tuned after the show for that and if you haven't had a chance yet to check out the great courses plus guys this is one of my this new partnership i'm so excited about i've been taking so many of their classes i feel like the smartest i have ever felt in my life it's brought so much balance to my learning my education and i've just understood topics on on a deeper level um i i love my podcast because i get these uh, little bits of info and and a summary of like the specific research that someone does but these great courses plus programs are a way of taking a full course on something like recently i've been listening or i've been watching and you can listen to it in uh in the app in your car as well which i also do and sometimes watch it in front of the computer and uh, you know there's all sorts of nice animations and stuff like that 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 come along with some of these lectures but i've been watching this absolutely mind-blowing one called why you are who you are investigations into human personality so a good example colin d young was a was a guest on not too long ago maybe a few months ago one of my one of my favorite people and uh he's been on twice now and he talked a lot about the You may remember us sometimes talking about the Big Five personality indicators. I've had a few guests on, Colin being one of them, talking about that. And this is so I've I've had several guests, and I've I've read a bunch about the Big Five and everything else. But this course on personality, why you are who you are, investigations into human personality, has given me such a more in-depth understanding to this stuff. And it's just so endlessly fascinating to understand. I'm starting to understand things about myself, my history, my upbringing more, of how my personality got shaped in the way that it is. it's also helped guide me into like, well, maybe I actually don't, maybe I'm not attached to that part of my personality as much as I thought and oh, maybe maybe that part of my personality is actually a better trait than I realized that it was. And tons of stuff like that. One of the huge things is just the empathy that I have for people. And I'm still working on this. I have a long ways to go, guys. People drive me crazy sometimes. I, you know, I think this is a pretty common human experience. But. You're like, why can't that person see, <laughs> how could they believe the thing that's my opposite political view, or religious view, or take on life, or whatever, and it just drives you crazy, why can't they see it? And hearing some of the, uh, the personality underpinnings of what drives, say, uh, political preferences is so mind-blowing to me and so explanatory and so um it, it, in uh emboldening of a of of just a new understanding and empathy for others even if it doesn't you don't know, need to like that someone has a, a different point of view but but even to be able to understand it better I've found that I've been able to communicate again still working on this but I've been i've made improvements on communicating with people that that are you know see things in a very different way than i do because i can i can kind of now like meet someone and i'm assessing like oh they have this and that personality trait that's why they're uh um they hold this view and are acting in this way in this given context this is like it, I mean it's crazy once you learn this stuff the amount of predictions you can make about someone's behavior and then you can learn how to relate to people on a completely different level um, it, there's a zillion other courses as well if you go to the great courses plus app you can check it out and uh, it, it's it, it's there's so many different even if it's you get your science fixed from this podcast there's a million different Things on there. There's there's history. There's if you're if you're traveling internationally. There's things you can do for like top tourist sites around. There's there's yoga courses. There's a, a, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, so just check it out. It, you can start your free month today. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com/slash. Here we are. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com/slash. Here we are. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello everybody and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today I'm talking with postdoctoral fellow at the School of Public Health, at Indiana University Bloomington, Daniela Shuseed is joining me today.
2: How's it going?
1: I'm uh, I'm great. I'm wonderful. It's so nice to meet you. You're a fan of the Here fan. We Are podcast. I'm a big time I mean, fan. <laughs> I always, you know, I like to think that I'm someone who's like done some deep work and reflecting on my own ego. And a science all hero that. maybe? And, <laughs> oh shush it! Hey, what we what what we talk about before we hit record is between you and me. That that's I it was a good call that, That's post guest confidentiality. So <laughs> um, I did I did jokingly call myself a si- jokingly. Right. Call myself a science hero I'm all before for it. we I'm record. All for it. <laughs> And but I I have to say it's it is flattering, and I definitely you know I I interview a fair amount of academics, and I don't don't like to pick favorites, but you know when people like you, it's just to easier to go like to the them top. back. So so you already you you've already ingratiated yourself just by being a fan. This is such a crazy uh, wonderful connection because so this is you might not even know all mm-hmm. of this but i was I, I was booking stand-up science for cincinnati mm-hmm. and i was looking i had a i had a male biologist from uh, university of cincinnati and i was kind of looking around for a female and it was really bad time of year the beginning of june mm-hmm. all the academics are taking vacation mm-hmm. i've never had such a hard time finding and i and I really wanted a female too. And then I was like, I reached out, I sent just an email to the zoo as like a general inquiry, which I'm like, well, this I probably won't even hear back um, from this. And then like two days later, <laughs> out of the blue, you emailed yeah. me. You were like, Hey, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a fan of the show, and I uh, and I work with elephants and such and yeah. such. And wondering if you need anyone for stand-up science. You probably don't because it's it's not that far away. And yep, then exactly I was right, like, yeah. actually, <laughs> I do need someone. And so you're in. And then you were like, actually, I'm not available. <laughs> I I was Which so... is so crazy. You are really playing no. with my heartstrings. <laughs> I,
2: and, am, I am a bit of a tease. What can I say? <laughs> and,
1: and but it all all's well that ends well. Yeah. You ended up because and i don't really even know what you do we're kind of winging this episode but in the the meantime it was my understanding you did some work with the cincinnati zoo and and you connected me with some people there and then i had these great um podcasts with them i got uh, some behind the scenes tours I, i got to hold a little red panda and uh super cute and uh or no i didn't hold i've got to feed it i had you know i wanted to hold it so bad that in my in <laughs> my mind in my memory i actually remembered holding it um and it, you got to go to like shadier places to hold. Yeah. D- to hold the zoos are so professional. You got to go like was in Australia. You can go to like these kind of shadyish like sanctuary things yeah. where they like let you hold a koala bear and stuff. <laughs> they probably shouldn't, but but they do so but but Cincinnati Anyone Zoo's on the, your on the up and up so uh so uh, oh you, you just you go to Kangaroo Island it's like a whole <gasps> island that's a that's a zoo in Australia south of um Adelaide I want to say um a wonderful place and um yeah that's like they they have uh you you have to you when you rent a car they have the um they have like the grill, the um, the cages or whatever mm-hmm. on the car because there's so many kangaroo and marsupials that you're probably going to run one over. That's, that's insane! That's, like <laughs> you're you're out you're out eating at a restaurant and there's fences around like the outside to keep the kangaroos out because they're like coming up to you for food. It's amazing. It's a wonderful experience and uh you get to feed kangaroos you get to hold koala bears it's an entire island devoted that's like they've turned into this weird zoo so quick plug for kangaroo island <laughs> um but cincinnati on the up and up didn't get to i got to feed fiona the hippo oh the she's their superstar
2: yeah the,
1: the famous fiona the hippo the the um most premature hippo yeah. that survived that that anyone knows of in all of history, and got to feed her. And again, I was like, I got to feed. Like I could have touched her. And I was like, Can I touch her? And they're like, No, no, no.
0: <laughs> and
1: so that's. I feel <laughs> like in Australia they would have let me touch. They would they you are let... a
2: kangaroo, and we're in Australia. <laughs> yeah, you know. I
1: could have touched, but the feeding was awesome. Got. Got some great pictures. It was, it was super, super cool. And all of that is. In a huge part, thanks to you, they actually oh. did respond to my email, Excellent. Uh, which is also surprising and nice. So, what a wonderful time! And worked out. Uh, can't can't plug and thank the Cincinnati Zoo enough. Super cool place. If you ever have a chance to go, they are not paying me to say this. I am just <laughs> very grateful. And everyone should uh, go. And zoos are great, and they're helping conservation, For and sure. learning animal research, and all that stuff. Get involved, be a part of it. Who doesn't? What I mean, what kind of a monster doesn't <laughs> want to spend a day at a zoo? So, what? Uh, what's your deal? What do you? What do what's you do? My because, deal? yeah, because. So you're you're at the the school of public health, but then there's a lot of like, elephant w- research once, being done
2: in the school of public health. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, but like once a week or something like that, you're going no. to Cincinnati, oh, or
2: um. So I go to Cincinnati. No, not once a week. Um, we're doing a project together. Uh, as well as with other zoos, um, with Asian elephants. That's what they have there. Uh, and you
1: got other zoo hookups for me?
2: I ha- I've probably worked, um, at, I guess, somewhere between 25 zoos Whoa. throughout the U.S. and then uh, African Lion Safari up in Canada.
1: Oh, we're going to have so many more <laughs> zoo episodes coming up on the Here We Are podcast.
2: I will say I don't have the same relationship with all the zoos. Well, do right? what you got to do. <laughs> I'll see what I can do I'll see what I can do. Um, but I also the first time I worked with Cincinnati Zoo had a great experience similar to you. So every zoo is you know really welcoming and you get really cool experiences. I get a lot of cool behind the scenes not just with elephants but I really like African painted dogs so Cincinnati has them and, and you know I, I told them that yeah, I said to them.
1: Christina's yeah, obsessed Christ- with them uh, Yes yeah, she is and uh, dogs as well
2: she made sure I can, I got uh, a... they're
1: you know they're, they're fine.
2: What? They're fine. I mean, uh, just fine. I like them. They're so cool. They're so cool. But, you know, people don't really know about them.
1: Yeah. Well, tell, tell me what you like so much about them. I mean, well, I get one, that they're
2: aesthetically, they're I aesthetically think beautiful
1: I, creatures. Yes.
2: Yes. But I really like the sociality of them. And it's the same thing kind of with elephants. So uh, that's What's kind of what pull, pull pulls sociality. it in and stuff like that. Well, it's again kind of like with carnivores. You're not seeing a lot of, you know, except for also with lions, right? So um, that kind of is what. Drew me to them, but, you know, they're second to elephants, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so elephants, way up here. And I, but I actually started with lions. Um, so the Lion King, actually, was uh, very influential, apparently, when I was like nine yeah. years old. Yeah. And imprinted. Uh, I remember where I was, um, and I uh, first movie I cried in.
1: I mean, yeah. it's a wonderful movie. A wonderful not, movie. Good job, not Disney. You're wrong for feeling this way yeah, about thank The Lion you. King. Thank have you for you, validating you, my feelings. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the musical?
2: No, it's oh, on my lovely. bucket list, though. It's oh, on yeah, my bucket list. Oh, yeah, you gotta list. go. It's great. Yeah. Uh, so for whatever reason, it really, you know, left an impression on me when I was little. And for as long as I remember, I was in Africa and I was into lions. And there's a researcher at University of Minnesota, Craig Packer and uh, studies lions and I'd buy his books and I would read everything and so when I was an undergrad I was a biochemistry major and the idea was a I will become like a scientist and a researcher and focus on lions or b I would work for the government like as a special agent and since it's a hard science it worked and then it gave me options to go either mm-hmm. way and just so happened the way life went, I went to Israel after undergrad. I wasn't ready to grow up yet. And I had the opportunity to get my master's there, and there's only so many programs taught in English, and one was in government, uh, specializing in counter counterintelligence and in, uh, national security. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going the government route, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, towards the end of my time there, I received a conditional job offer to be a special agent with... Um, the State Department, and while I was waiting for everything to clear, like background and security clearance, it was taking much longer. I mean, are you
1: even (laughs) supposed to tell people that you're (laughs) like this... James yeah, Bond no, person? No, because it didn't. It I feel didn't. like you're blowing up your spot no. here. I mean, this maybe this is why it didn't work out for you. <laughs> you're just blabbing to everybody. No,
2: because I'm not. But um, <laughs> okay. my, my mentor, at I uh, got my PhD at University of Alabama, Birmingham. He used to joke all the time that I was a spy, but clearly I'm not a spy. I'm talking about it on a podcast. Or is this your
1: spy <laughs> trick that you... Okay. Yeah. Well, now I... Yeah, messing with my head. I don't know what to believe.
2: We'll keep you on your toes, right? <laughs> I can't can't keep it easy for you, right? So it ended up uh, not working out. Too many connections with Israel, and but while I was waiting because it was taking so long, I was like, you know what? I should really start thinking about if this doesn't work, what am I doing next? And so I was like, well, let me get back to to the science. And so I knew someone who was, um, who had gone through PhD and was now faculty. So I reached out to her, Hey, what should I do? How do I build my CV? And ended up having the opportunity to get involved in some research in Tanzania that focused on human elephant conflict. So the, 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 Main issue or one of the main issues that's occurring is you have increased conflict between humans and elephants as human populations continue to grow. It's only increasing because elephants go and eat the farmer's crops, right? And so now the farmers lost their income for the year. They lost their food for the year. Uh, Obviously, that's not great for the relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. And so this project was looking at two different ways to try to mitigate this uh, using two different different types of fences uh hot chili pepper fence and a beehive fence but the other aspect of it was yeah wow <laughs> I, I hope
1: I... you're gonna say more than that about okay, these so, fences <laughs>
2: all right so the, the hot i'm chili- not
1: just gonna let those fences <laughs> yeah, pass <the> face- <laughs> right by come on
2: your facial expression told me that um <laughs> yeah so the hot chili pepper fence is we took uh, pieces of fabric and it was used car oil and then ground up fresh uh, pepper and grease, and you you dip it in this concoction, it was really disgusting, and you hang it up, and the idea is the smell would deter the elephant. And then the beehive fences, which is still often used, uh, I should say there isn't one strategy that's 100% effective. Elephants are are too smart and too big, and uh, it just, it's one of the it's not my focus of my research, but it is a focus of many research in terms of how do we prevent elephants from crop raiding, And so there's a lot of, you know, different strategies that are being employed. So with the beehive fences, the idea is, uh, you have bees and there's hives that are all connected with wires, you know, for the fence. So they're all, you know, tens of, uh, beehives when the elephant, Goes to the fence, it shakes, it agitates the bees, they fly out. Elephants don't like the bees, the elephants turn and, and run away. Hmm. And it is effective. Uh, but elephants, again, being smart, have figured out ways. So elephants will be careful in terms of when they step over the fence, try not to shake it. Uh, they crop raid more at night. So partially, maybe because The activity of the bees are lower. Also, it's thought that elephants are, let's say, recognizing that this is a high-risk behavior. Mm -hmm. And at night, there's less human activity because they're sleeping. People are sleeping. So they're less likely to uh, get caught and scared off. Or there's different tactics people use. So they, yeah. It's
1: hard to sneak around when you're an elephant. You
2: say this. You say this, but no, not really. It's like, okay, so the elephant's feet, it's kind of (laughs) like, think about, like, like, so... They're actually... Oh, no. Okay. So, okay. Two things. Two things.
1: Yeah, I, there is some like... Uh, now that you're saying it, there's something really special about their feet that I'm trying to remember. So they've got cool feet. They've
2: got cool feet. So one, it's kind of like they're they're walking in high heels, right? So they mm-hmm. have this really big paddy uh, lay underneath their heel and it's a soft pad. It's, that's actually an elephant footprint up there.
1: Oh, yeah. that's beautiful.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Um, so really big, right? And so when they're walking, you they don't necessarily always make a lot of noise. Um, but what I wanted to say was, I recently got back from Uganda, where was, uh, setting up some protocols to study forest elephants, and it was near impossible to see elephants in the forest. You know they're there. You hear them. They s- like they make a little sniff. It's not little. I shouldn't say. It's like this. In like they're inhaling the the air to smell you and so it's like the snorting sound so now you know that they know you're there and you know that they're there because you hear them but you can't see them i think it's super that is cool.
1: amazing i
2: think like to me it's one of the coolest things it's like
1: i would have never <laughs> that is not intuitive no. most people wouldn't guess that an elephant would be a hard thing to spot
2: super super hard super super hard to spot
1: interesting uh
2: so it's a challenge for some of the newer studies we're going to work on yeah so anyway
1: <laughs> i mean that must be really frustrating for oh. like for people that aren't in the know like tourists or whatever are going to like i'm gonna see an elephant today yeah. and then you're like yes. hearing the elephant like where is this damn el how are we missing the elephant
2: well so it is uh first off it's very frustrating for me i want to see the elephants yeah but the field assistants there the um individuals uh, so we work with ugandans this is in Kibali National Park. And so they're very familiar and, you know, they could track the elephants. And it's incredible what they're able to, they you know, see and then what they learn from what they're looking at. And you're like, wait, how did you know that was from, mm-hmm. you know, two days ago, right? Uh, but most, when they hear the elephant, they either, A, turn and run the other direction because they don't want to, you know, surprise the elephant. That's, it's pretty dangerous, right? Uh, or, you know, if they take a really large you know, pass around them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was made fun of because there's a lot of baboons that are in our field site and I don't like, uh, sorry, primate lovers. I'm not a big fan. They're, they're canine. Their teeth are okay. just so big. <laughs> well, I mean, I can leave
1: right now if you want me to, but whatever.
2: Listen, their, their teeth, they scare me. They're so big. <laughs> they're so big. So I was made, I was often made fun of because I was so nervous to pass by the baboons or are, are yeah. habituated to people, but I had no problems going and like traipsing through the forest, looking for these elephants mm-hmm. where it is very much dangerous if, you know, you scare an elephant, but it's actually a problem when you're talking about forest elephants versus Savannah elephants. So, African elephants, when you're thinking African elephant, you're probably thinking the savannah elephant, the elephants that live in East and South Africa. Um, but some would say they're subspecies. Some would say they're actually two different species. It's an ongoing debate right now. Uh, but you also have forest elephants, and those are the African elephants that live in Central Africa. So they're much smaller than savannah elephants. Their ears are a little bit more round. Their tusks are straighter, usually a bit of a pinkish hue. Uh, so right now they're, they're clumped together, and so the way they are in terms of numbers and, uh, you know, they're classified as threatened. But if you were to separate them, it would really change their their categorization of it. Uh, But the tourism, the ecotourism that you could have with savannah elephants, getting into a jeep and going on a safari and seeing them, is obviously very beneficial for the country and for the elephants in turn. And you don't have that the same way with forest elephants because they're not as easy to see, right? So you're not in a truck where you're on foot, And you have really dense vegetation where you can't see things easily. So it's uh, a bit of a, I guess you could say struggle in terms of figuring out how can we show that there is some monetary or even just benefits for living next to an animal that can be very destructive when you can't see them, right? Where you can do that with savannah elephants. So it is actually going on your point, very hard in terms of tourism. Hmm. Yeah
3: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York, never compromise, drink responsibly. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com/Teams. slash
2: I think we completely got off of how I got onto elephants. By the way.
3: Well, <laughs>
2: I,
1: I, I also I do like that it was your backup plan. This oh yeah, elephant, and that was because first off, what's it what's it like to have a backup plan? It just sounds so relaxing
3: just, oh. ah,
1: to have choices in life. <laughs> I like to just really back myself against a corner. See and See what happens. Have, yeah, and just Roll have the dice. no way out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I like to. It's just what I do, and then uh, and then it's. Um, I don't currently
2: have a backup plan. Oh, well, so if uh, a faculty position yeah. doesn't happen, I don't have a plan B. So oh, it's gonna okay. happen. then. So, yeah. yeah. So All right. I've changed my my ways I guess Yeah, <laughs> somewhere oh, between underground well, and we're in this
1: terrifying situation together then <laughs> yeah All right. that's right oh, well, that could work.
2: <laughs> excellent if it's not I'll call you up maybe uh, you know you could <laughs> use some help or something on the road <laughs> sure
1: um, so Asian elephants are the ones that you're studying now is that what you oh, said
2: um, so with Cincinnati Zoo and with the project yeah Asians but most of my work is actually with Africans so okay. the project with Cincinnati Zoo and other zoos it's with uh, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, (AZA) AZA's SAFE project, uh, Safeguarding Against Future uh, Extinction, and so they have a program with elephant, uh, Asian elephants. And so <clears throat> this project actually just kind of, I was working on a project um, with facial recognition for elephants, and we we're starting it with African elephants, and we already started doing that. And I mentioned it to Christina, and it just so happened that Safe was interested in something along these lines. And so it was very random uh, how it came to be. And now it's kind of picking up and we're going with it. So actually a couple days before you were there, I was there taking some photos of their elephants and, uh, we have another meeting in a couple weeks about it. And so we'll, um, continue and use other zoos to build our algorithm. And, uh, we have other plans for it, but that's probably as much as like I'll say on on that project right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's super cool. I'm really excited about this project. It's going to be I think really amazing. It's not just for scientists. It's going to also be for the general public. And so hopefully within the next six to nine months, we'll have something really cool, um, to give to the public and researchers with this. So that's one project. Uh, and then my other projects that are with African elephants. So I have, um, two and, uh, so one is, understanding why forest elephants appear to have their first calves, their first babies, much later in life compared to savannah elephants and Asian elephants. So savannah elephants typically have their first calf between 11 and 14 years of age, uh, but forest elephants not until 23 years of age on average, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge difference in life history strategy. And so I'm trying to understand why that is. Uh, is it a, a diet? thing? Is it a sociality thing? So Savannah elephants are very gregarious. They're uh, the most gregarious of the elephants. So they're in large family herds. I don't know how familiar you are with elephants, but you have a matriarch. She's typically your oldest elephant, your largest elephant, repository of all this information, right? That she's telling and teaching and passing on. And uh, that is... Included in raising offspring. So first time moms have a higher uh, calf mortality rate. And so grandma, aunt, older, uh, more experienced elephants will play a bigger role mm. uh, in helping raise or guiding with that calf for first time moms. But forced elephants, it's mm. really just mom and dependent offspring, right? So is it something with that, right? If does it take her longer to accumulate knowledge? Or the right amount or enough where she's confident that she thinks she will be able to raise her calf. Because it's very energetically costly, resource costly, right? What is
1: it, like 22 months gestation or something? is that not crazy? Who wants to be pregnant
2: for almost two years? Not me, right?
1: Nobody. I mean, if elephants could take birth control and understand (laughs) they absolutely would
2: yeah yeah it's insane so you have that and then it's uh the calves are dependent for a really long time so
1: how long are calves dependent
2: for so it kind of varies uh in terms of like when they wean so usually let's say on average four to five years Mm -hmm. on average but there are different factors that will uh, change that number
1: yeah i don't know i mean i wonder if if uh Humans would trade off a little more pregnancy to <laughs> yeah. wean them off a little faster I'm not still uh, I'm still not fully weaned no
2: no uh, no
1: i'm 39 i'm I'm nearly weaned off my my parents you should have
2: led with that yeah <laughs> oh man good for you <laughs> Oh no! See no, that's not for me. Okay, here have the formula. Have
1: the
2: formula. Go <laughs> on. I just meant. Be I just meant dependent. Yeah, I know. I'm I not. know. I'm not, I, know. No. <laughs> but, I know. I got you. Yeah,
1: I just. I, I. I'm still. Uh, I'm still not a fully formed adult. Is. Is all. Well,
2: who wants to be? No,
1: I know. Adulting's
2: I know. not. Not as you know, fun as anyone. When you're a kid, you want to be true. an adult, right? when you're an adult, you're like, do I really want to be an adult? I'm not well, sure.
1: there's there's such a we have talked a fair amount about the human kind of parent offspring mm-hmm. conflict and, you know, offspring in any species kind of evolved to suck out as many, <laughs> get all of the resources, all of the help, yeah. all of the care, all the attention, all of the everything that can possibly be gained from the parent and the parent you know wants to help to an extent but only has so much energy and resources and might have other offspring mm-hmm. as well yeah. and that's sort of so there there is this um parent uh offspring conflict that is just inherent within the system mm-hmm. of evolution and in sure, yeah. any species and so i'm i'm very much uh interested in how that's expressed in elephants
2: yeah so i'm going to shift gears real quick yeah shift uh, them so I didn't really finish with that study, but that's okay. We're going to shift real quick.
1: Uh, At, well, no, you can uh, you you drive this ship for a while. You're, you're shifting <laughs> gears. You might as well steer the wheel as well. Oh
2: man, I hope we have some Google Maps or something. <laughs> um, okay, well, so you brought that up, and the reason I wanted to shift gears is so our other study. So I'm trying to, and going back to being in the school of public health, uh, elephants aren't normal in the school of public health, right? So I'm often asked why I'm in the School of Public Health, how do elephants relate to the School of Public Health. And I think, and what I've been trying to kind of leverage for the past couple years is by studying the elephant, getting some additional insight and a different angle at understanding humans. So elephants have a similar lifespan to humans, second longest living terrestrial mammal uh, behind us, right? So the average global life expectancy for a human is somewhere around 72, 73 years of age. Uh, Elephants uh, commonly in the wild could live into their 60s maximum age, uh, definitely a seventh decade, if not eighth decade of life. Uh, And they have a lot of similarities to us. So for instance, the dependency that we spoke about in the Uh, parent offspring interactions, right? So the calves are very much reliant on the adults to teach them what it is to be an elephant, similar to how we raise our children, right? And they have a great memory and they are emotionally complex. And so this other project that we're currently doing is trying to look at the impact of experiencing early life trauma on health and biological age. So human children, those that experience more traumatic events early in life, are more likely to develop develop, uh, more health issues later and have a earlier mortality. Uh, But people, we have so many confounders, right? So we could maybe have a similar, let's say, similar uh, emotionally traumatic event early in life, right? But maybe I'm from a two-parent home and my parents go to college and I don't do drugs and... I still end up having some health issues. Uh, Maybe you are predisposed or you're uh, exposed to...
1: You can call me a fuck up. It's fine.
2: (laughs) We can switch roles. We can switch roles. We can switch roles. Um, You are exposed to maybe uh, an environment where drugs are used. Maybe you become a drug user. Maybe you don't exercise. Maybe... uh You're hitting it a
1: little. (laughs) You're a little on the nose right now. I, I mean, to rock
2: climbing <laughs> no, and yoga.
1: Let's keep on. Well, I am now, <laughs> at thirty nine. <laughs> um, no, let, but let's keep on going with this hypothetical,
2: hypothetical scenario. Okay, so hypothetically, uh, sure. let's say this is what's happening, right? So, if you are involved in a in drugs, right, or mm-hmm. if you have more stress because you're in a lower social economic status, or um, you don't exercise or, or you eat like a poor diet or whatever, right? All of those t- hypothetically. First off,
1: I told you I had McDonald's <laughs> on the way here. That was confidential. I did, you you used that you. against me. No, you
2: just outed no, you. No, you took that
1: information. Again, we had this Purely host hypothetical. guest confidentiality. You outed yourself. And, and none of this was supposed Nobody to be recorded. I'm deleting McDonald's. this whole episode. No one's ever going to hear this. Listen, it's
2: that international... <laughs> like ploy that McDonald's is using right now. How can you say <laughs> no, right? So the idea being all of that to say yeah. is how can you disentangle a lot of these behavioral choices that are known to have associations with later life diseases from this event that happened early in life that could maybe have a biological implication, right? Mm-hmm. You can't disentangle that. We, you could you could eat and be exactly the same as say your sibling, right? But you're you're not, right? Because during the day you go to your job and your sibling goes to their job and you eat this lunch and, and they eat that lunch, right? But elephants, on the other hand, they live in a genetically related Uh, family and their herd that travel together. So now they're exposed to the same environmental conditions. They're exposed to the same food and water sources, right? And so the idea is you can potentially reduce some of the noise because they had this more homogenous environment than humans do. So hopefully you can, and what I'm hoping is kind of hone in more on this biological link between early life trauma and, and health and biological age. And the way we're going to do that is working with orphaned elephants. So I'm working with uh, Zambia. This is in Zambia. So with their uh, national parks there, with the organization Game Rangers International. And we're working with the orphans there to sex and age match them to elephants that are in the national park there, Kafui National Park, as well as elephants in South Africa, in intact families, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to collect samples from these guys for over a year. We're going to look at different markers that we'll use for uh, health, different markers to look at their biological age. And so biological age, I mean, maybe this elephant is 10 years old, right? They've been on this planet for 10 years. But because of their experiences they had early on that were presumably very stressful and traumatic, right? Seeing their family uh, poached in front of them. And so that's what happens, right? So uh, poachers want the tusks. So they target the adults because the tusks are larger, the Calves don't have any, so the elephants are killed for their tusks, and then the the calves are orphaned. Game Rangers International and Zambia's National Parks, they come in, they rescue the, the orphans. And so they're hand-reared, similar fashion. <clears throat> and then when they're old enough, they are moved to their... Uh, pre-release facility, which is in Kafui National Park, and these elephants then start to interact and have the choice to interact with wild elephants. So if they're still younger and smaller and and could be risked to predation, they make sure they bring them back at night. But if they're already older and they're bigger, they decide, the elephant decides when they go out, when they come back. Mm. And so it's kind of like a soft release when the elephant is confident enough and feels comfortable enough. They go off, they're out. In Kafui, they're out in the wild with these wild elephants, and and that's that, right? Mm-hmm. So we are collecting samples from these guys uh, for a year, and then we'll continue to follow them. So continue to follow them once they uh, go into the national park and are there and are released, and how they <clears throat> how they uh, adapt and change over time to see what type of impact that traumatic experience has on their health mm. and their biological age. So maybe. <clears throat> And I think I maybe forgot to mention this because I got sidetracked. The biological age, because of this traumatic event, maybe they're like aged them five years. So maybe instead of being 10, which they are chronologically inside, maybe they're more, their biology is more like 15 years. Mm. And so that's what we're going to look at and continue to follow them mm. and see uh, how that shakes out. <clears throat> Sorry. And uh, the idea is hopefully could give us some insight also to some aging biology that could be relevant to people. And so yeah. I think elephants have the potential to be a very informative, an informative animal model for, for human biology and aging as well. And so that's something I'm also investigating and, and trying to um, continue to explore. I think there's a lot of different ways um, we could go about it. I don't know if you're familiar with the whole cancer and elephant situation. Have you heard about this? No. Uh, so it was kind of big. I think it came out a few years ago. Uh, I want to say 2015, the first publication came out and it was the elephants get cancer at a much lower rate than expected. So I think it's two or five times lower than humans um, get cancer. The idea being right over time, and I'm not a cancer biologist, I should put that out there, but my understanding is right so over time, Healthy cells have are more likely to become cancerous because they're the mutations that are occurring in the DNA, right? Mm-hmm. So, it was thought that if an animal is larger or longer living, it should have an increased mm, likelihood or more rates of cancer than, say, a smaller, shorter lived. Uh, animals. So say an elephant compared to a mouse, right? So if you're bigger, you have more cells. If you're living longer, you have more chances for uh, mutations to occur and replication and whatnot. But that's not the case. There there doesn't seem to be this correlation between the two. And so the idea was, well, why, why is that not happening? And so... I believe now there's two groups of scientists. Uh, The first one was at the University of Utah. Another one is at the University of Chicago. And they're trying to understand what's going on. And what they kind of found out was it's this gene uh, TP53. And TP53 uh, helps in uh, lowering cancer because it induces cell apoptosis. So like a cell will commit suicide. So it seems that elephants uh, are more sensitive to DNA damage, so they'll have apoptosis or cell suicide, right, more readily than we do. And that's because they have 20 copies of this gene, where we only have one copy of this gene. Hmm. And so now there's a lot of uh, interest in looking at this and what does this mean for future cancer treatment for humans and uh, or the the role of cancer in humans in general and so that was something that's really cool that we learned from elephants no elephants were harmed in the in that study or anything like that but you know it's it's beneficial both for elephants and for humans and, and that's pretty cool
1: Hmm. do they ever try to treat elephants with cancer like in zoos or
2: anything that's a good question i'm gonna say yes though i don't know for sure so i know there was a couple cases not too long ago i think there was an elephant with foot cancer and I don't know how, but I'm going to go with yes, only because usually that's always the case, right? If you know you're, if something's wrong with their, their animal, then they're trying to, right? Mm. Remedy it.
3: Hey, everybody. It's Elaine Welteroth, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Built to Last by American Express, where we will dive deep into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Our debut season will focus on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, we feature the story of a Black business trailblazer that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. First up is Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant, Saletti Vegan. We'll also chat with Hanifa Muemba, the cutting-edge designer behind the Hanifa 3D Digital Fashion Show. Plus, we'll check in with Issa Rae, our modern-day Renaissance woman. We hope that it encourages all of our listeners to support these businesses as well as the Black-owned businesses in your own communities. Tune in for these amazing stories and others on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
0: It's JCPenney here, back with some great gift ideas for everyone on your list. And they're all available now at your local JCPenney or online. Need gifts for her? Check out our selection of diamond jewelry that's sure to put a sparkle in her eye. Or help her cozy up at home with pajama separates and super soft slippers. For him, try JCPenney's grooming products, like shave sets and trimmers. Or compliment his style with smart flannels and jeans from brands like Arizona, Levi's, and more. Also, stop by Sephora inside JCPenney to find top fragrances for both him and her. For the kids, shop this year's must-have toys and games for all ages. Or bring smiles to all with matching sleepwear sets for the whole family. And for everyone else on your list, share some warmth with a heated blanket, an ultra-cozy scarf, or let them decide with a gift card. There are so many ways to share the joy this holiday season, and so many ways to shop JCPenney. Visit a store near you, pick up curbside, or go to jcp.com. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney.
1: Well, that's really interesting with um, the trauma aspect of things, too, going back to that, because... You know, we've talked about, had some people on that study life history Mm -hmm. type stuff on the show, and uh, yeah, like one of my favorite, well, it's very sad, but it's absolutely fascinating, is the idea of of females in a very unstable, um, high-stress environment, er, a community with high crime Mm -hmm. or whatever, where where the, the signals coming in from the environment is that like life is probably pretty short, so... Uh, it, you know uh, uh, what you should do with that is become fertile earlier so you can uh, procreate because who knows how long you're going to have to do that for? And so those females often um, hit puberty earlier, mm-hmm. and and that is mind blowing to me. Do you think that they'll find things like that with elephants?
2: So there is uh, in savannah elephants populations that have experienced, say, severe drought or because of poaching, the females do start having their calves earlier, right? Mm. Their first calf, it's at a younger age than they would typically. It doesn't seem to be happening in forest elephants, uh, but I should say that, so one of the things with the forest elephant study that I'm excited about, there's not a lot known about forest elephant biology because they're very cryptic in nature because it's hard to see them. So it's much harder for researchers, right? To gather data and to study them. So there's only a, a couple populations that have really been studied in depth. And based off of that, it doesn't appear that they have this same um, <clears throat> response to something along those lines where that you're seeing that with savannah elephants where they're going to have their calves or they start having calves at younger ages than they typically do following a severe drought or an increase in poaching or something like that. And so that's also very concerning. Uh, because there's not many forest elephants left, right? So if you think about it, they're in areas that used to be also in West Africa. Uh, but when you have instability and, and things like that, you have increased probability for poaching to occur. And so there aren't many forest elephants left. And so from a standpoint of wanting to make sure we still have them for future generations. If their growth rate is slow, which is, it is in comparison to savannah elephants, right, that is a point of concern. And so that's kind of going back to that study, why is it that uh, forest elephants are having their first Calves much later in life. And so, what our study is actually doing is we're looking at human activity influence on that. So, we're comparing elephants in the Republic of Congo and in Doki National Park, where there's not a lot of humanized landscape. These elephants have been studied for 15 years, there's over 500 individuals identified. And they come to this clearing. And so, what that allows us to do is something really special. And it might not sound special, but I told you it's hard to see elephants, right? In the forest. Because they come to these clearings, we could actually collect samples on them repeatedly from the same individual. So we can look at and characterize for the for the first time their reproductive cycle, so their estrus cycle. So that mm. is equivalent to, say, our menstrual cycle, right? So we don't know that for the forest elephant. And that's because it's so hard to collect samples from the same individual over time where you get the data you need to determine that. But since they come to this clearing and they're so considerate and they defecate pretty regularly right on the trail leaving the clearing, we can be in this platform, watch them, and then when they move on, come down, collect the the fecal sample, and then we could run our analyses, right? Uh What
1: an exciting treasure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is an exciting treasure. It really uh, is. (laughs)
1: Wow. Just what a lucky day. Oh, man. Is it like hard or? No,
2: it's kind of like, so they don't digest a lot of their food. It's something between 40, 60% of what they eat is digested. Okay. So so it's like a
1: ball of plants.
2: Yes. That is exactly what it is. It's, say, like this big. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
2: And um, a lot of grass and fibrous material wrapped up and intertwined can you know, sticking together with this gucky wetness. And then yeah. they, they defecate a few of those balls at one time. So they're called boli. Uh, boli. boli is the plural. It's a bolus is one. Hmm. And so there's a few of them, but it's like this.
1: Seems like a waste.
2: Oh, yeah, They're not efficient at all. So they eat a lot. So they have a, it's interesting. Their digestive strategy is eat a ton, passes through me fast, low quality food. Hmm. And so they eat low quality diet. They have a, relative to other uh, herbivores, um, mammals, uh, that are er- like mammal or herb- herbivorous mammals, let's go that way, uh, of short digestive passage time. And so it's uh, their GI tract is voluminous and it's pretty short in comparison. And so they eat a lot of poor quality food and then it goes through them pretty quickly. Hmm. Yeah, it's not efficient at all. But when you're larger, you can, you can do it that way. I
1: if you're guess smaller, so. You can't. Somebody wearing gloves on this thing or you're just you're <laughs> I do just have
2: it? I do have gloves. You
1: wear them though?
2: So, so you know what's funny is so when I was in Uganda, Come on. well I'm going to tell you a story. I feel right like now. I'm not going to get a
1: yes or no answer <laughs> right, I'm going to tell you a it. funny okay. story.
2: Uh, so it, it took me so long to find it took us about I think 6 days, right? And this is and this is how it goes, right? You wake up in the morning really early. You go out into the field, right? We go out into the forest, specifically looking for elephants, right? That was the only objective is to find elephants and yet would trek like 10 miles during the day and not see one elephant, not see any fresh signs of elephants. And so it took us about six days. And then there was a crop rating incident the night before around 3 a.m. And so we went out there around, I guess, maybe like seven or something the next morning. And I was so excited, so excited to get my first sample. I took a photo She's in big time holding the sample, but I only had one glove on and that glove was underneath the the poop. And so my stepdad kept telling my mom over and over, she's not wearing gloves. I promise you, she's not wearing gloves. (laughs) And so my mom... Just the other day, actually, she was like, Wait, we need to no, know because Larry keeps saying you're not wearing gloves when you're touching this poop. And I'm like, no.
1: You're not fully weaned either. <laughs> I'm not,
2: I'm not, oh, no, I'm definitely not. <laughs> definitely not fully weaned, no. But see, I wasn't trying to divulge that to, you know. Sure. But yeah, no, I am, I'm definitely a mama's girl. But I was, I was wearing one glove. I was wearing uh-huh. one glove. Uh, but I, I um, trained my dogs to, uh, scent detect elephant poop right so uh really <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh thank you birmingham zoo for all the poop that's my shout out and plug to them uh yeah
1: so they'll, they just ship you poop
2: well so this you, is what i was got, in birmingham oh you and got the
1: elephant poop connection
2: i have the elephant poop connection wow
1: you ever like you ever try to make money off that stuff on the on the, <laughs> the, the black market? The
2: market? <laughs> you can make some cool stuff with elephant poop. You know they have that coffee. Have you seen that coffee? It's called um, what is it called? Black ivory coffee. I want to say no. No. So
1: oh, God. Asian elephants. What are We getting into here? okay? Yeah. I like coffee a lot. You like coffee? I'm scared right now.
2: Maybe I'm not a coffee drinker. I okay. haven't experienced it, so I can't, you know, say for sure how great this coffee is. But I can tell you it's some of the rarest and most expensive coffee. So it's Asian elephants, and they don't—they don't force the elephants to eat these coffee beans, right? So there's only a certain amount that they end up uh, packaging and selling, and that's in part why it's so expensive. But the elephants—they eat coffee beans. It passes through their digestive system, and <sighs> something. Uh, And again, I don't know about coffee tastes.
1: Humans are just the most ridiculous (laughs) species that there is.
2: No idea what happens or like what the taste is. But because of the digestive enzymes and the pH, whatever, it makes your coffee taste different, right?
1: Oh, I'm sure. It's so good.
2: (laughs) So it's supposed to be be something, you know.
1: (laughs) Just make something a pain in the ass to do and then people will think it's really fancy. Yeah, yeah.
2: mark it up and then they feel like, you know look how special i am i'm drinking you know elephant coffee elephant poop coffee yeah like
1: i was tucked into eating rocky Mo- mountain oysters once i was like it uh, was a i was with a girlfriend's family mm, and exactly and i was just like i was like well, what a, you know i i mean i you don't you, you don't make it in comedy with like a bunch of dignity <laughs> and stuff no you i i said goodbye to dignity many many years it's been a it's been a decade or so since i've even felt a a semblance of it um oh it just gets in the way of most (laughs) of anyone's ambitions but um but yeah and i was just like and i bit into this thing i was like oh come on what why are we doing this to ourselves? This is ridiculous, but it is. Not there a fan, really then? is no not a fan. Not a fan. Well, I don't like fried food generally. N- speaking,
0: interesting. I feel so like most people like fried food.
1: Most people do like fried food. One of the things. Comedy clubs. I get. I get fed at comedy clubs. A lot of comedy clubs just have like frozen uh, garbage that they throw in a deep fryer, and that's like my sustenance. And so it's just I get way too much of it. So, Serious um, question then.
2: Yeah. When you were at McDonald's yesterday, did you get? Oh, the I was French at McDonald's fries? today. Oh, today.
1: I did get the French, fries. Get the French they're, fries. They're pretty good. I'm not a big French fry person mm-hmm. either. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is. I was gonna stop and have a real meal, but I was just like wanted to get on the road and, uh,
2: that, that's and fair. All,
1: all all that. I was having a a weird morning. So um uh, but yeah, stay away from fast food out there, guys. In case <laughs> in case you didn't need to know. Like I, I guess I, I guess I bet elephant dung coffee is Ooh. at least much better for you than most of what humans are putting in their mouths probably on a daily basis and that is a sad state of affairs <laughs> um gosh i do love sidetracks yeah though, don't i'm sorry i, I No, you down so many of them you don't apologize for anything i'm happy that you're on board with them oh, because usually yes. i annoy the heck out of people with my with my sidetracks oh, no, um no, no, for sure but we should um so I have a few questions. Yeah. One, let, let's. Uh, why, why don't we kind of? Why don't you at least? Why don't you finish up? Um, you know, close the loops on on any of the finish talking about the studies that you were introducing. If there's anything that we got sidetracked on that you didn't get to finish, and go back on, or.
2: Okay, so I'll just real quick bullet points on them sure, just sure. in case because I honestly don't remember uh, what I did and didn't say. So, yeah, study one. I'm
1: going to leave here. All of it's going to fall right out of my brain. That's okay, me ne- too. Never think of it again.
2: <laughs> oh, that would be so sad. <laughs> no, I'm,
1: just, I'm joking. I thought it was half, one of your favorites. I'm half joking. You know, it is, hey, what a reference. Um, it is interesting. I learn a lot on this podcast. I really do. But there's like this, there's a different kind of muscle that mm-hmm. I turn on to do the interviewing process to be like, on right now i mean as you can tell i'm just very charming and like really on top of things and cracking great jokes and all that i know you're just blowing blowing away for sure yeah and then (laughs) but then uh, whatever that muscle is that that like uh uh, that does that that makes me like active and focused Mm -hmm. is not related to my retention level. So like oh. I actually I actually retain more information like studying pre podcast for the podcast or like taking classes, reading books, that sort of thing. Then the podcast subs- and I never listen back to these.
2: Really? I never? can't
1: I can't stand my own voice. I oh. Hate it. Some people like my voice. I like Other your voice. T- uh, people will say, um I had a fan tell me recently that I, I go like this at the end of <laughs> talking sometimes like a up talking thing. That is like some maybe sign of a lack of confidence or something. And then um, I sometimes on YouTube comments. You read I'm those? Told I get, well, I am a glutton for
2: punishment. Oh, man.
1: And uh, some sort of vocal fray um, sort of situation going on, which I don't mind. Because Noam Chomsky is like the, the um, exemplar of vocal fray. And I like that. I could listen to him all day. Um, so whatever it's, Embrace I it. am, uh, I am who I am, but isn't that, but that is where you like, I always think I'd remember more from these conversations I do, but I'm going to try. So go back bullet points. Okay.
2: Bullet points. All right. Study one. Uh huh. Why do forest elephants have their babies on average about a decade later than Savannah African elephants? Mm-hmm. So that's the question we're seeing if it's relating, related to human activity or using Kibale National Park in Uganda that's surrounded by a lot of humanized landscape mm-hmm. comparing it to a population of elephants in Ndoki National Park in the Republic of Congo where there's not a lot of humanized landscape.
1: Let me ask you a question mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. You take the same species you put it in a, a in a zoo or a different environment mm-hmm. where say like for the one that's 10 years later but now yeah, you you forest. put it in a zoo where the for you put take the forest one you put it in an environment where Resources are plentiful, and all the care in the world, and and then what, what is the,
2: this worried, reaction? Worried, keep going, keep going, and
1: the, and then and then it does it does it reproduce faster?
2: Yeah, I was, I was worried we're going in a direction like that. So first, no, there there aren't many forces. Why options.
1: are you so worried? <laughs> Okay.
2: Um, well, let's just—is this say, okay.
1: one of your secret agent things again? <laughs> no. All right. No. 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 Sometimes I say things and it gets me in trouble, and I have no idea why. Yeah. Yeah. That's no. What's that's happening right. Right now. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh. So there aren't any forest elephants in North America. I think there's only maybe two zoos in the world that have forest elephants, by the way. And and I forget exactly where. I want to say somewhere in the Middle East or Northern Africa, but
1: a for I'm going to reframe the question. Yeah. A forest elephant. Moses into some new environment where there's just a crazy amount of resources Mm, yeah okay
2: let's go with this one better i like this one better yeah Uh,
1: that's all i'm asking okay
2: so if they go into an environment with crazy amount of resources that's a really good question and that's what we're trying to figure Mm -hmm. out and so that was one of the things we wanted to know is it a diet thing so forest elephant diets are are very different from savannah elephant diets. so Forest elephants eat a lot more fruit. Savannah elephants, they eat a lot more brows and grasses. So we're talking about like branches and leaves, like really delicious stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you would think though, fruit should be, you know, it's more calorically dense than a leaf, right? Um, so maybe their nutrition should be better than why... Why would they be reproducing later? And so we're looking at things like secondary compounds, things like tannins. You find it in wine and, and whatnot. It gets in the way of protein absorption, but also the seasonality of the fruits. Uh, so that's, that's a question we're trying to look at uh, because no one, has, no one has answered it, right? So theoretically or you know hypothetically, you'd think, yes, if you have all the resources that you need – why are you waiting so long? But maybe it's an evolutionary thing. Maybe, you know, they evolve to reproduce later in life because they don't have the you know, their buddies to help them raise their kids. So it's going to, you know, take a bigger toll on them. So I need to be older and smarter or whatever um, until, I have, until I have my baby. Uh, so that's kind of what we're trying to get at, understand why that is. Is it an evolutionary thing or is it because of modifiable factors that um, this is occurring so that's, yeah, that's what we're trying to get at. And, and it's important, again, because, because of their slow growth rate, right? So if we want forest elephants to be around, and, and I, I feel like a lot of people don't even know that forest elephants even exist, right? So if we want them to be here in the future, we need to put in the protection, and we need to make sure we understand their biology to, you know, we can't stop human population growth. And so if we're going to continue to have to, you know, cut down trees for agriculture or or whatnot. We should figure out how best we can live um, with elephants and how elephants can live with us in this cooperative way where their needs are being met, our needs are being met. And uh, this hopefully will help us understand some of the most important things that we need to know to make sure when we're creating policy or we're – you know, putting in agriculture fields and stuff, where should we be doing that? Or how should we be doing that? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're trying to get at with mm-hmm. this study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. study one. Yeah. More bullet points, more bullet points. Yeah. Study two. bullet uh-huh. points going back to our, uh, early life trauma. I feel like I pretty much hit on all this. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're pretty much trying to see the relationship of poaching and this early life traumatic event on, on health and biological age. Mm-hmm. Um, Elephants in Zambia, elephants in South Africa, comparing them.
1: So, has there been have there been any findings in terms of impact on lifespan? With the, the you're, you're with a baby elephant, you watch your mother get uh, killed right in front mm-hmm. of your very eyes is a horrific thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then does that mean that probably for uh, you just cut 10 years off of yeah. your life because the stressful impact of that makes um, chronic stress mm-hmm. is a nightmare on the system, blah, blah, blah.
2: I'm not aware of any studies. That doesn't mean they don't exist. My uh, presumption is it's hard to answer that question because they have a similar lifespan to us and of poaching so there was a lot of poaching that happened in the 80s Mm -hmm. it was really high and then again in the early 2000s and now it's kind of on its way down but because of that you kind of get in the way of what their maximum lifespan could be right because when you get older you have these bigger tusks you're going to get targeted for poaching so Mm -hmm. it's hard to to answer that but that's kind of Mm -hmm. what we're trying to look at with this biological age
1: right right right
2: so Mm -hmm. We're starting to, to try to look at that, uh, but I don't think there's much known about how being an orphan elephant impacts the health of that elephant long-term, which is actually a really important question when you think about it because of, and even not just, you know, uh, biologically, but also behaviorally, right? These are very emotional animals. Elephants can exhibit something like PTSD, right? So if you have these orphans that are going to become your future population of elephants. What does that mean for your future population of elephants if they do have some of these, let's call them quirks. That sounds nice, right? Are they going to be good moms? Are they going to be attentive? Are they going to be able to pass on the information they need to to their offspring because they didn't have grandma or mom or aunt telling them what it is and in, in this information. Are their relationships with their offspring going to be different? Presumably, yes. Maybe they won't be as a, as attentive as they would have been if they saw what this was supposed to be, right? So we can be as great as we want to in terms of hand-rearing them and, and they get put together in these, you know, orphan herds, right? But even still, these these herds, maybe your oldest one is 13. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not, you're not talking about a 30, 40 year old elephant that has all this knowledge and um, know-how, right? And it's also an an orphan as well. So what are those implications? And I don't think we know that. And and I think they could be something that is really important to understand because it could reshape how that specific population is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I don't know, really kind of mind blowing that we don't necessarily think about. You're like, huh. Right. So it'd be pretty interesting, you know, when I'm seventy, see how this works out. <laughs> yeah. hmm. Forty years, we'll talk again.
1: And then well, actually as we're as we're talking about all this, I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. Yeah. Did you have one in mind?
2: Can I give like multiple? You can situations? give multiple.
1: I, yeah, and or I Or just, like, just one. It'd be it'd be because I'm like, I don't know what you're going to say, and I'm like, I imagine there's going to be an elephant one, right? It or will reset- be an elephant okay, one. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I'd be like,
2: <laughs> is it, would, it, it, it is an elephant one.
1: <laughs> It'd be weird if instead you were you were like, uh, I have to go back to the
2: primates, I you know I, because I, I kind of screwed over the primates earlier in our talk. You did maybe was, I should plug for the primates? Maybe anyway, no, no, sorry, primates. Um, okay, so I want to do a self plug. Yeah, we're. Raising money for our forest elephant study. Oh, cool. So if anyone's interested in getting involved in any aspect, uh, Daniela Shuseed, School of Public Health. My email address is on there. Um, no.
1: How do you spell your last oh, name? Good because one. Because it's pronounced Shuseed, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Gosh, uh, I
1: haven't screwed it up you yet. You have
2: not. Oh, this is good. Yeah. good uh, job. This is,
1: I'm feeling a lot of pressure right now because I'm going to try it one more time before this episode is over. I
2: feel like you got it down.
1: <sighs> two for two right now. All right. I know.
2: You mean, if you're a baseball but, player.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how do you... Two home runs. How do you uh, how do you, uh, uh, spell it? Is it...
2: Here we go. Oh, oh here's the pressure. Let's see. No,
1: let's see. Oh, I don't want... It. Let me it's, see. it's like a let's C-H... You.
2: Yeah 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 yeah. yeah 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 Keep going. You're so uh, close. You're so close. Only no, oh, two more letters. I don't
1: have it. E D Y D Y D. Yeah. Oh, C H U S Y D.
2: That's so better close. than I
1: normally do. I just realized I was spelling except wrong. <laughs> I was putting this whole an life? X in Your whole there. life? Maybe. for the past thirty nine years. I just looked back. I was like, I had a little. I was journaling, and then I looked back, and I did that twice. I put an X.
2: That You're showing sense. love to a letter that uh, doesn't get a like, lot of love.
1: Okay, yeah, I guess so. Well, that's a nice <laughs> way of positively framing. So, so, what's, so how can people be involved?
2: Uh, well, we can discuss it. I guess it depends on uh, what their interests are, but happy to discuss it with anyone who who has some interests uh, right. that align with mine.
3: Awesome. And
2: the other one, I will plug Game Rangers International, the elephant orphanage in Zambia. Uh, they um, do great work, and they're also uh, – you know, require a lot of support for, you know, an elephant is not a inexpensive animal to, you know, keep around. They eat a lot. Um, so they're awesome. Game Rangers International in Zambia. Look them up. And, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you. I think that's great. Um, I think that's great, I, too. You know, you're speaking of primates, and it, it, <laughs> it brought um, – uh, elephant question to mind oh, actually yeah. so there's this show called Orangutan Island it no mm-hmm. longer exists people can still get like a couple seasons of it on DVD or something like that people have bad taste in things some people um, don't even like primates very much I'm not going to name names or anything <laughs> but um,
3: I don't know but,
1: what you're talking about. But this, but this wonderful delightful me. show <laughs> no longer exists where or it's this little island that's like the sanctuary for orangutans to uh kind of introduce them back into the wild mm-hmm. the ones that are, that were like you know pets or and zoos or what what have you and and they they're found there so anyhow within this show i would often notice um you know some some new orangutan would pick up some new trick and then he'd like go and start showing off his new like, uh, scooping veggies out of the water <laughs> in this particular spot trick. And, all, and then all the other primates would take note and see it and, and mimic that behavior. Are elephants doing a certain uh, that same sort of thing socially? or is it mostly just the maternal, like a very involved mother mm. offspring um, education
2: you mean how like calves are learning what to do yeah
1: and yeah. and through
2: the course of a lifetime yeah um, I would say all right so you have a lot of mimicking right mm-hmm. so you see you see this elephant pulling you know bark off of a tree like an adult right and so the younger elephant will try to try to do that maybe it's not the right tree mm-hmm. um, and then you know tasted and uh, no, that's not right. Right. Um, so there is a lot of, I'm observing you, I'm seeing what you're doing and then, and then I'm trying it. Uh, And then, you know, yeah, like kind of like kids learn when they're playing, right. They play with their conspecifics and messing around and figure out like, Oh, this is how strong I am. Or, you know, I can do this and and stuff like that. So I think that's kind of what you're talking Mm -hmm. about if I understood correctly the question yeah yeah all right yeah so there's a lot of learning that's happening that way
1: and then my last question but Mm -hmm. you are um before or after the question welcome to close any open loops up there that i'm not uh, uh, i'm not remembering or say any final closing thoughts or anything that you need people to know that you didn't get a chance to say but my last little question Mm -hmm. is what is the impact on on so say elephants do go extinct Mm, what is the cost of that what's the impact on the ecosystem what is the impact on even our ability to say research cancer or understand life history things what what are the consequences of that is it is it just that like these um uh you know because i think people are starting to become in the know that like we gotta protect these mm-hmm. bees now because if the bees get all this disease, mm-hmm. then we don't have plants. We can't eat anymore. We're all gonna die. Um, but but elephants are these large mammals that that have uh, like people might not recognize. Is it just nice that we have them around, and it's sad to see them go, or are they are these like huge real world impacts?
2: Yeah. So at first, let's say there's probably a lot of repercussions we can't know or we don't know until it actually happens, right? We think maybe X, Y, Z is going to happen, but until it actually happens, we really don't know the ramifications. That being said, there are things we know that elephants do for their environment that if we didn't have elephants would be, um, an issue. So they're gardeners, right? So they eat fruit, they eat, uh, certain, um, seeds, can only germinate once they pass through an elephant's digestive tract, right? So, uh, their seed dispersal <sighs> seeds
1: are so yeah, interesting, right? Like, awesome.
2: Yeah, it's um. If I remember correctly, it has to do with uh, fungus. So some of it is huh. so some. Okay, I should change. So some of it is they require it for germ uh, for seed germination, and then others won't live unless they pass through because fungus will grow on them if they haven't passed through the elephants. Uh, digestive tract. Hmm. Right. So there's some plant species that won't be able to continue on if they don't have elephants because elephants are the only ones that can do this job for this plant species. They also disperse these plant species, right? So elephants walk a lot, they eat a lot, and as they're walking, they poop along the way, seeds in this nice, you know, fertilized, warm ball of mush that we talked about before and so then you could kind of see where you know who like you could tell an this is from an elephant right it's growing out of uh elephant poop so there's seed dispersal elephants knock down a lot of trees which then allow smaller trees to then grow because now they're exposed to sun that they weren't weren't otherwise exposed to as well because bigger trees were blocking out the sun. Uh, elephant footprints b- are big. They're deep. They collect water. They become these microenvironments for little organisms there as well as say a little water hole for other animals, right? So there's a lot of ways that they impact the environment positively, potentially also negatively. Um, you know, if they're knocking down too many trees, if there's, you know, not enough space for them, you know. Um, but anyway, they do have a big impact on their environment, not just uh, for, say, the plants, but also for other other animals that are dependent. And like baboons will come through, pick through their the seeds and their poop and, and eat that, right? So there's a lot of interactions that are occurring. Plus, who, who wants to live in a world without elephants? I mean, mm-hmm. that would just be sad. So um, then there's the emotional mushy part of it, too. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I, you know... That was a bit of a downer.
1: No, but it's important for people to hear that. I mean, and it's actually fascinating because one, seeds are just... I like the seeds that, like, they don't... Unless they're, like, through a forest fire. Mm. Like, that's the only time they'll mm-hmm. break. Oh, it's just like,
2: what? Yeah.
1: How, how did they evolve that way? It's incredible. Um, and I, I don't know. I just... It's important for people to know this information because I... Am concerned. (laughs) (laughs) As you should be. We all should be. Yeah. Not just for elephants, but you know, all of it. Yeah, yeah, for all of it. Huh. Well, this was absolutely fantastic. Daniela Schused. Yeah. Three times, three times. Thank you for reaching out to me. Oh, Thanks my pleasure. Thanks for, for hitting
2: me back. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad I made a special trip to come, uh, come see you here in Bloomington today. Yeah. So thank you. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. And we'll talk with you more next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, I'll be talking about one of my favorite subjects, consumer behavior. Always love when we get to talk about this topic on the show. And I have the wonderful Anthony Salarno from the Department of Marketing at the University of Cincinnati joining me. Really terrific episode. Make sure and tune in for that. And for a little bonus content today, but bonus content, not mandatory to listen. Wouldn't that be weird if it was mandatory to listen? It's not, it's optional. This is a bonus fun thing for you guys. I thought I would read uh, a little fan mail. I saw and uh, got an inspiring story sent to me, and I thought maybe it would inspire others as well and uh and i've never done this before and i've been trying to do uh, more different new things for uh, uh, for the end of these episodes just to give you guys a little something extra so i certainly preach about the uh, all of the good that psychedelics can potentially do for people and we've had researchers on and i love all of the science coming out behind it, all of the gathering the hard data and doing rigorous, replicatable, falsifiable studies. And uh, I think that's so important, but you know, we're storytelling animals and and we really uh, like hearing these kind of personal stories too. And and by the way, when I say, you know, this is an anecdote uh, and hopefully you find it inspiring. I, I don't think that necessarily, um, means that, that this is the sort of thing that I would encourage everyone to go out there and do. This is, this is um, one, one positive story from, from one person. And I've certainly heard, uh, I've had people reach out to me with um, some negative trip stories that they've had and the things that they're struggling with as well but i get messages like this way more often all of the time in fact and it's just beautiful and heartwarming and i've never shared them with any of you guys and i thought why not that uh, uh, you guys i'm sure would appreciate this so much so um it here it goes and i'm i'm always uh, reading things out loud and there's a there's a couple of uh not to uh Uh, there's a couple typos in here, too, that I'm going to hopefully read past, but um, I am also getting out of my comfort zone of reading things publicly, recording myself, reading things, Oofta. I always, I I was not, uh, I I was bad in school, and especially English classes, and I was, like, behind in reading and all that, and the reading in front of the classroom was such a nightmare for me. I wish it would have been framed as, like, hey, this is a difficult, awkward, social thing for us to do. And so we're all going to practice this kind of awkward, uncomfortable thing together and take turns rather than um, just like we're all going to take turns reading and that's that. and you have to do it and not acknowledging that this is an intimidating social experience and everything else. But so now almost 40 years old, I'm trying to get um, more comfortable uh, reading um, out loud to people. So here it goes. Hey, Shane, I don't know if you read this, but here it goes. Um, So by the way, I always, I always read these. I I don't always, um, I'm not able to respond Sometimes I don't have time. Other times, there's just uh, I've had some unfortunate issues with with some boundary um, issues from when I respond to people, and then um, people wanting and then expecting me to respond to more and more um, of their emails and have a whole conversation with them at any time of day, and mad at me if I'm not responding, and so. Things get weird once in a while, so I I, I do uh, I I it gives me pause before responding to people. But I responded to this guy and asked him if I could if I could um, uh, share this with with you guys. So I got permission to do this. I'm going to leave his name out. But anyway, hey Shane, I don't know if you you'll read this, but here it goes. So I had a friend that I grew up with who has been a hot mess for quite some time, more like a raging dumpster fire, actually. He went into the army about 12 years ago and served for seven years with two deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. Over the past several years, he's been a raging alcoholic with a lot of PTSD issues. He alienated himself from everyone, even his parents moved out of state. I was probably his best friend growing up, but I wanted nothing to do with him. After overcoming some issues myself using psychedelics, I became convinced that I could help him, especially after some convincing reassurances from the DMT entities. LOL, so weird. (laughs) Yes, my friend, DMT is very weird. All right. Uh, after, After probably a year of thinking about it, but also not wanting to for fear of what could happen to my life if it goes wrong, things just started falling into place. I was thinking about him one night, and I got a message from him out of the blue. There was a little small talk, and then he basically asked me for help. He was desperately in need of a change, and I knew something that could change everything. I sent him a YouTube link to Mike Tyson talking about the toad, since Tyson, the, the toad, by the way, this is 5MEO. Um, DMT experience you can google it yourself but uh, uh, since Tyson is a hero of his and he became convinced that it could work for him I met up with him for the first time in six years and tried to assess the situation and see what I was getting myself into it was a little scary but I could see that he still had some good in him and I decided to go ahead with my plan against nearly everyone's wishes including my wife's I invited him to go camping for a week so I could get him out of his shit life for a bit and try to shift his perspective. Every day for two months, I worked on what I would say to him in my head. At first, I was extremely nervous. It was going to be kind of a dirty little secret that I would only let out if it actually worked. But then my confidence started growing, and I began telling my friends and family what I was doing. Some were supportive, others dismayed, but I was doing what I knew I had to do. By last week, I felt like my mind had been tempered. I was ready. After camping for 3 beautiful days at a music festival, feeling filled with love and positivity, I came home Sunday night and repacked my gear to take him up. I picked up Monday afternoon. Sorry, I picked him up Monday afternoon and headed up into the hills to my favorite spot which we found empty and no one around for at least a mile. The first night, we just hung out, enjoyed nature, listening to music, that sort of thing. Tuesday evening, I made some mushroom tea over the fire, and we drank it. It was a nice, mellow trip. We played some frisbee, laughed a bit, but it wasn't getting as deep and introspective as I had planned. After a while, I decided to pull out the big guns and hit him with the DMT. I set him up on my reclining chair with incense that he liked burning around him and sent him off. He was gone for maybe five minutes and then came back amazed. I asked what he saw and said he didn't really see anything, it was more of a feeling. It welcomed him, but told him he was not ready and that he needed to fix a lot of things. That he had needed to let go of some of the things he had been worried about. After sitting a while in a dim glow of coals, I noticed he was holding a dog tight or holding his dog tight and trying to hide tears, so I gave him a hug and asked what was wrong. He said that he was sh- uh, what he was shown was really sad. It showed him how much of his life was wasting, how stupid he was being drinking everything away, that smoking was going to kill him sooner rather than later and that he needed to to quit blaming everyone else for his troubles and that he needed to take his life back so that he could be a good father to his little girl. I had chills. He was telling me everything that I had planned to tell him and what took me two months to plan in my head DMT taught him in about five minutes. Then he asked me to go so that he might learn from what I saw. Uh, Go he means uh, him smoke himself. I I wasn't planning on it, but it it felt right, so I readied myself and strapped in. I took my third hit and almost immediately was taken to what I can only describe as heaven, infinity. I was nearly in tears of joy. It was pure ecstasy. I opened my eyes and staring at a billion stars in a crystal clear mountain sky. Fucking mind-blowing. We talked a bit and he went to bed. The next morning, not sure if there were. If their message took, I asked what he wanted to do for the day, and he told me that he didn't feel like he had time to be sitting around and that he hasn't earned the right to relax for a week like I have. He wanted me to go home uh, to my family and get him back so he could start working on getting his life together. We packed up everything and headed home two days early. On the way home, he received a text offering him a coaching job right by his house, so things were already looking up. Only time will tell if he actually gets it together, but when I stopped by today to drop off some things, he forgot forgotten my truck. He had been up late deleting all his stupid Facebook posts after realizing how pathetic he had been, posting hundreds of songs and sprinkling in some nasty, ignorant shit with almost zero response to any of it. He was like, who does that? fucking unbelievable the way he's changed already so then he says i i guess i thought uh, uh, you would like to hear this and i thought if anyone knew to whom such an anecdote might be pertinent it would be you i'm not looking for attention i just thought if you knew someone during doing research on such things that this might be helpful and i would gladly talk to anyone about it also if you have any advice on somewhere Uh, on where someone like myself might go to perhaps pursue doing things like this as my career i would be much obliged i'm just a cabinet maker that would that would like to do something bigger i'm a big fan of everything you do the comedy to science and especially spreading the word about psychedelics keep up the good work best regards from one of your favorites um Mr. No Name, <laughs> um, so yeah, beautiful little story. Thanks, Mr. No Name. I uh, I do get asked all of all of the time for if if um if I know how to like get into helping um you, you know others being involved with psychedelic stuff, and I don't really. I think like your best bet for the average person would just be to kind of join some local psychedelic groups and see what there is locally, because there's definitely no, uh, I don't think you need to jump out of your cabinet making job and try to enter the world of like shamanism or or something like that, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with cabinet making, and sometimes you if you're anything like me you live these uh you you get to do something bigger and you have a dream come true and you turn it turns out it's just a grind as much of a grind as working in a factory or or anything else in life um but uh all that being said joining like a local psychedelic group and seeing what's around in your community is a good way to um uh get something going and, and getting yourself involved in some networks and then, you know, trying to maybe attend, you know, see if there's, see if there's like, then from there, the psychedelic groups in your local area might know of some events happening. There might be, you know, some kind of psychedelic related conferences and things like that popping up. There might be even, even some concerts where you meet like-minded people and just kind of trying to get into the world a little bit, um, is, is a good first step. Um, I, I don't really know in terms of, you know, outside of like going back to school to get a, um, degree in psychotherapy or something like that, What what other steps there are. And that might be, that may be a thing that, isn't, um, totally necessary for what a person's, um, hoping to do. And there's certainly a lot of ways that you can like find an organization like MAPS, the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies and offer your time and services and volunteer. And like, especially you can go to concerts, um, you know, you can get involved with some of the different harm reduction groups and volunteer with them and, you know, help people, um, who are, who are having a a rough go at things. And that's, that's something pretty entry level that seems like they're kind of always looking for help. And, and so that seems like one way that I've, I've seen a lot of people, um, get in on kind of an entry level way of doing things. And then, but outside of that, I don't have like any, any big connections to a particular person or organization that i can necessarily put a given person in touch with but uh it's a worthy pursuit and it's also something that you know you can have your life as it is right now and and dip your toes into um you know joining a uh, kind of getting involved in the local psychedelic community a little bit without having to fully go i mean especially when you have a psychedelic experience you oh my god i know what i need to do i've been on the wrong path and now it's clear to me i need to spread the word and uh, save everyone using psychedelics or whatever i i'm not getting that impression from um from mr no name here but but that is that's a very common um response uh to have and and part of integration is um you know taking a little time and thinking out what that what that looks like on a on a more grounded level but um that and, and and as i read all this you know this is like there's all sorts of individual differences for me dmt isn't like a terribly therapeutic um drug it's it's not something that i would necessarily be like hey dmt will be good for a person's PTSD. i'm not saying it doesn't it uh, I mean some people in some situations just need something to to get a little shake up and a little neuroplasticity to have a chance of making some new habits but uh, DMT can also be like quite the head fuck for a lot of people and certainly has been for me I mean I've, I've loved my DMT experiences but um, more and just like an interesting what is that space is it is it some new tool to have a new understanding into how our brains work that's that's what i use it for but there's you know it can be really unsettling and and um you know it can sometimes seem more real than this reality which which can make you kind of question um and make your your sense of reality seem a little slippery which i don't think is the least healthy thing or, or at least unhealthy thing in the world to question reality. But I've also had it, Um, you know, I've had experiences that have that have, got to an unhealthy place, I would say. And then I've, I've also, you know, I've probably given DMT to a little over 100 people or so. And, and there's probably been like four or five of those people that didn't really... Handle it really well. Felt like really just kind of uneasy and unsettled by what they had experienced. It was just like too intense and too jarring for them. And uh, you know, I'm I'm more of a mushroom man. That's why I'm I'm working uh, with uh, myco meditations in Jamaica. By the way, you can come to my retreat next January 18th through 25th. And that's uh, if you ask me a little a little kind of safer, more surefire way to have a more grounded, integrated, but still getting like a a big, you know, perception uh, altering and and paradigm shifting experience, but doing it in in something that's a little more grounded in this world and less like talking with DMT entities. Um, But you know, and and then other other people don't like mushrooms. Some people like LSD, and, and then some people just aren't going to respond to any psychedelics. And um, I think MDMA is doing a, a a lot of kind of impressive stuff right now, but I think that's hardly even a a psychedelic. Um, I mean, it is, but it's 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 of the psychedelics. It's not a very psychedelic e psychedelic. Um. So you know, uh, there's individual differences. Proper set and setting. Um. You know, I I would, I wouldn't necessarily recommend everyone do the same kind of path with uh, Mister No Name. Especially if this person, if his friend has legitimate uh, PTSD issues, they could potentially qualify for a professional study um, done in quote unquote the right way. I also think that there can there can be a really amazing beneficial, um, results from doing exactly what Mr. No Name did. And this, this can actually be much more beneficial for someone as having a, a friend with them help them through one of these experiences in a nice setting out in nature like this can be absolutely beautiful and, and much more comfortable and, and um, positively life changing four people then say something in a, a more clinical setting and talking with like a professional therapist and all that. And, and, uh, you know, I, I go back and forth with, with a lot of that stuff, which is again, why I like the Myco meditations, um, approach in Jamaica, because they, they have a little bit of everything, especially when I'm there there's, there's usually you know a therapist there and usually um, uh, you know I have my kind of science takes on things and and sharing my past experiences and then that yeah there's just a few different facilitators with a few different points of view so you know all that all that is to say is that th- this stuff isn't necessarily for everyone and i i i'm not i'm not the type of person that's like everyone should Go out and smoke a bunch of DMT, and the world would be a better place. I actually think it kind of would be, um, but I definitely also don't think DMT is is right for everybody. So that's a stupid disclaimer that we always have to give. But but what people need to hear is more positive stories like this, because we've all we've all heard the warnings and the disclaimers, which are really even even as someone who's experienced, um, you know. bordering on as severe as a uh issue from um you know over overuse um as you can have I, I still have nothing but love for psychedelics and all of the positive influence that they've had on my life and everything that they've taught me and i don't think that i would have this um very grounded science podcast um if it if it weren't for the the being inspired so much by the psychedelic experience. So, um so yeah. I I I don't uh, I'm not I'm not telling anyone what they should do uh with their lives. I'm not saying this was the right or wrong way to do things, but this was absolutely a beautiful story and even even if it doesn't take in the in the long run, um you know, some sometimes there's a whole lot more work to do than one little camp out with some psychedelics is, is going to do for, for a person. And, and But even if it is just a little bit of a uh, step in the right direction and, and gives him a little bit of a chance to make some positive changes in his life, that's the, the, uh, the impact of that, not just on him, but on his daughter and family and friends and everything. The, the, the downstream effects of, of, you know, what a little change in, in one person who's struggling can make, when, when you can take one person who's, who's uh, you know, suffering and, and in turn leading others to be suffering as well, uh, you know, a little something to help help them helps everyone around them in the community that they're in and everything else. So. I think psychedelics are really uh, interesting, cool path forward to to exploring alternative possibilities, to making ourselves and uh, and our communities better. So I am I am a big time advocate. And so thanks for sharing. Keep them coming. I love getting emails like this from you guys. I love your uh, uh, the negative emails too. And any you know it's always my worst fear that I'm going to like you're gonna hear this, and then be inspired to do DMT yourself, and, and, you know, who knows what could go wrong for you, and then, is that my, my liability, because I, uh, because I'm kind of encouraging that, I, I don't know, but I, I do know I've just seen enough of these, uh, these stories, and that i'm just like fuck it life's life's too short if i end up getting a little blowback uh one day from someone's bad trip um so be it i've i've seen a I've, i've seen just too many positive things come of this stuff so hope you enjoyed that i i loved sharing it i loved reading it and yeah think about joining me in jamaica if you like there's still some spots left and those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites today's outro music brought to you by the multiple cat and if you want to check out more great indie music check out the jimmy fro indie music podcast it's fantastic
0: a podcast network.